1 through 8. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me, as to one abnormally born. Good morning, everybody. Have a look at the word here on your screen. Freedom. I believe this is a word that resonates with all people. Freedom is so important to us that through the ages, many have even given their lives up for it to defend it. And I think today we realize that there's a lot of value in being free to make our own decisions. And even right now, we're living through a time when we're longing to be free from isolation. Simple things like going out for dinner or traveling or visiting family or even just going to the park You know, things that we usually have freedom to do have been stripped away from us, and it hurts us a lot. I trust that God will get us to a place again where we'll be free to enjoy these things because our God is a God who values freedom as well. And in Scripture, we see that God has offered us a type of freedom that's even more valuable than the freedom we have uh, from COVID-19 isolation. This morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the freedom that we have in Christ, which is why we're calling this lesson the Gospel of Freedom. Before we start, though, I'd like to take a minute to catch us up on where we're at as a congregation here at Central. As many know, in 2020, we've been focusing on how we can grow in this area of evangelism. Uh, Evangelism is sharing the good news about Jesus with those who don't know it. And so in order to share the good news Uh, We also need to remind ourselves of what the good news is. And so for the month of April, that's what we've been focusing on. We've been working through a series of lessons about the gospel of Jesus. And so the goal of these lessons is to get a renewed appreciation for the gospel of Jesus and what it has done to change our lives so that we can passionately and effectively share that news with others. Jay began our series at the beginning of the month with his first lesson entitled The Refreshing Gospel of Jesus. And in that lesson, we looked at our before and after pictures in light of uh, what the gospel has done in our lives. And and we realized that the gospel has the power to change us from what we were before. And last week, Jay also brought us another amazing message called The Gospel of Hope. And in that lesson, we looked at the incredible things that we get to look forward to because of what Jesus did for us, including a new birth into an inheritance that could never perish, spoil, or fade. And so, as I mentioned, this week we want to talk about freedom. Following Jesus brings freedom to us in many ways, 
But I've decided to just focus on two things this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, which Jay just read for us a few minutes ago. Uh, this morning our lesson is going to be simple. We're going to talk about how the gospel gives us freedom for today. Sorry, for, it gives us freedom for eternity, and it also gives us freedom for today. And the goal for today to help us better understand these freedoms is going to be uh, to look at these freedoms and understand them so that we can be better at proclaiming that to other people and also to gain a, a renewed appreciation for it in our own lives. And in order to accomplish our goal, we're going to structure the lesson around three simple questions, which is what is the gospel, why should we receive it, and how can we receive it? So with that in mind, we'll start on the first question, what is the gospel? And I think many of, many of us have heard this before, that the Greek word that is translated as gospel in the New Testament means a good message. Uh, or today in our language, we may say good news. But if someone were to ask you, what is the good news? What would you say? How do you sum up something so amazing in just a few words? Or maybe this is the first time you've heard of the gospel and you don't understand what it means. Well, thankfully, we have the answer in the scripture that Jay just read to us today. Let's have another look at it. This is what it says. In verse 3, it says that Jesus died for our sins. In verse 4, it says that Jesus was buried, but then on the third day, he was raised to life again. And then in verses 3 and 4, it says all of this was predicted and written down beforehand in the scriptures. And we have proof of this, too. And it says that in verse 5 to 8, it says that after Jesus was raised, he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to 500 other people, and he appeared to the apostles and James, and last of all, he appeared to Paul, the person who was writing this letter. So the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins and mine, and because of this, we can be saved, and this is such good news. And so for some people, this is enough to convince them that they need to take hold of the salvation that's being offered here. Uh, but for many others, there's still questions and hesitations. Maybe you fall into this category, or, or I'm sure you know somebody who does. Um, and some possible reasons might be, well, you think, well, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and I don't really need Jesus to be saved. Like, Jesus is just for really bad people. Or... I believe in God, but I have kind of a personal understanding worked out with him, and, and I don't need Jesus to be saved. Or maybe you think, well, <clears throat> my life is pretty good. Uh, I mean, I've got uh, a good job, I've got two cars at home, a nice house, a good family, we go on vacations, we got retirement savings. I mean, what, do, what on earth do I need to be saved from? Or maybe you just think, well, why is sin such a big deal anybody anyway? Uh, nobody's perfect, right? And we can't all be going to hell. Um, these are all valid, question, uh, valid questions and valid opinions. And we shouldn't jump, uh, we shouldn't expect people to jump on board without having a logical understanding of what they're doing. And we shouldn't criticize them for having hesitations. Uh, with that in mind, I want to try to focus on addressing some of these hesitations based on what the Bible teaches. And in order to do that, we're going to look at why we should receive the gospel. I think many of the hesitations and questions we just talked about, uh, at least in part, stem from a misunderstanding of who God is. And also it could stem from an unhealthy view of what sin is and what it actually does to our relationship with God. 
A lot of dangerous things can happen when we misunderstand things. Let's have a couple. Uh, let's have a look at a couple instances here. This this one, for instance, uh, let's eat grandma or let's eat grandma. Or how about this one? I like cooking my family and pets or I like cooking my family and pets. You see, when we leave things out, even just as small as a comma, we can really misunderstand the message of things. And I think in the same way, if we we can't really understand God or who he is, if we don't know about all of his characteristics. If we leave things out, we won't truly understand him, and we certainly won't understand the gospel properly. Uh, We often talk about the loving and merciful and forgiving nature of our God, and we should, because those are incredible qualities that he has. But we also need to remember to talk about and understand his holiness and justice, because this is who God is as well. Uh, One passage I'd like to look at that, that helps us to understand God's holiness and justice in light of what the gospel is offering, is, is this passage here from Second Thessalonians uh, 1, verses 6 to 10. And so I'll read that for us. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, I think many things. First, we can see here that that God is a just God and also that he's going to repay people according to their actions. And This passage talks about two categories of people. The first is those who have believed in him in verse 10. And second, there's another category of people, uh, uh, those who do not obey the gospel in verse 8. This passage also talks about a day when Jesus will come from heaven in verse 10. And it says that on that day, those who are in the group of those, those who are in the group of people who believed in him, will glorify him and marvel at him, in verse 10. But then it says, those who do not or have not obeyed the gospel will suffer punishment and eternal destruction, in verse 9. And so I realize that this is not a popular message in our all-inclusive culture today, but this is what the Bible teaches. And in order to understand the full picture of the gospel, we first have to understand passages like this. A common belief is that when we make it to heaven, uh, we'll, get the, we'll get let in if we're a generally good person and, and if we've lived a generally good life. Many people think that when you die, you'll face God and he'll have kind of a tally sheet for your life. And on one side, there'll be all the good things you've done and on the other side, it's all the bad things you've done. And as long as you've managed to do more good than bad, then you get a pass into heaven. Uh, but what we just read here doesn't talk about that at all, and, and that's just because that's not what the Bible teaches about how we get into heaven or how we are saved. Uh, the belief that God will somehow make an exception in your case and let you in, even if you didn't follow the gospel, is a dangerous way to think. The scripture tells us that everyone who doesn't obey the gospel of Jesus has only one thing to look forward to, punishment and eternal destruction. 
So if you have, if you currently have one of these viewpoints, that's fine. Uh, we're we're gonna, we're good with starting there, and we can work with you, and and we can work from there. We're not going to send you packing or anything. Uh, but please, I I really I beg you this morning, don't ignore what we're talking about. I mean, you can forget my words and my thoughts all you want because they're not that important. But please don't ignore what this passage is telling us because it is so important. Uh, the most important decision that any of us will ever make in our lives is what we're going to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll say that again. The most important decision that you will ever make in your life is the decision about what you're going to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that God is holy and just, and there's just no way that He can be in the presence of sin. And if we sin, even once, no matter how small it may seem, we are destined to this place of punishment and eternal destruction that the Bible talks about. In other passages, Jesus just simply calls it hell. God has created a set of laws, but we've all failed to live up to them. And because of this, we've all sinned. And every single one of us is in the same boat because of that. Once you've sinned, even once, your eternal fate is hell, forever and ever and ever. This is a really bleak and terrible situation uh, to be in for all of us. And since our score doesn't matter, like remember back to the tally sheet, uh, there's no amount of good things that you can do to earn your way out of this fate. Once you're stained with sin, you're stained with sin. And there is nothing that you can do to fix it on your own. God is just, and because we've broken the law, there needs to be punishment And that punishment is for us to live separated from Him for all eternity, away from His love and care. But, and this is a big but, as many of us know, this is not the end of the story for us. Yes, our God is holy, and yes, our God is just. And those things will not change. But the good news for us is that God is also merciful, and He wants to be in a relationship with us even despite our sin. So here's what he did. Because our God is just, there must be a punishment for sin. And that punishment is death. But the amazing thing that God did for us was that he took the punishment onto himself. He took care of it for us. But the cost for him to do that was so, so high. Imagine for a minute you're sitting in a courtroom. You're sitting before a judge and he reviews your case and he finds out you're guilty. In this courtroom, there's only one punishment for lawbreakers, and that is the capital punishment, death. You are truly guilty and the judge can't just let you off the hook because, well, he's the judge after all and he must, he must uphold the law. So he pronounces you guilty. But then right after he declares your punishment, he gets up from the bench, comes down to the officer who's about to take you away, and tells him that he's going to take your place and die for you instead so that you can go free. Everybody in the courtroom is shocked because the judge had nothing to do with the crime and he's totally innocent. But he says that he wants to do this because he loves you so much. This is what our God has done for us by coming to this earth in the form of his son Jesus Christ and dying for every single person on the cross. I just love this passage, and I I can't make it any more clear, so I'm just going to read it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. This is the gospel. If you've never heard this message before, if you're not sure how to respond, we're going to talk about that in our last point. But first, I want to talk about a couple other benefits of the gospel for us to consider. So we're talking about the gospel of freedom. And right now we're going over um, why, sorry, we're going, we're talking about why we should receive it. We've already discussed the incredible benefit of the freedom for eternity that the gospel provides for us. Nothing could be more important to us than this, but it doesn't end here. There are many other freedoms that the gospel provides on top of eternal life, which we get to enjoy today. This morning, I want to talk about just two of those benefits, which are freedom to have a relationship with God and freedom from slavery to sin. Let's go back to our text that Jay read to us and talk about the first one. We've already talked about how the Corinthians and us have, been, uh, have the opportunity to be saved by this gospel. Now I'd like to look at the response that the Corinthians had towards the gospel. In verse 1 it says that they stood in it. And the Greek word for stand is translated, uh, uh, translated from, a, the, sorry, the English word for stand is translated from a Greek word that means to come or place yourself firmly beside something or to persevere in something. There was something very attractive in the, uh, in the gospel that was spoken to the Corinthians that allowed them to persevere in following it. And in order to better understand what this was, I, I want to bring us to a passage from Roman, Romans 5 that uses similar language. Here's what it says in Romans 5 verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we receive in hope the glory of God. These words were also written by Paul, the same one who wrote uh, 1 Corinthians. And this idea comes up again that they are standing uh, by the grace of God. And what I want us to see this morning is that uh, from this section is one of the most amazing benefits that we gain from this standing. Paul says in verse 1 that those who've responded to the gospel have peace with God. Peace with God. But does the weight of that really sink in for us? I mean, think about this. Not only did God decide to save us from the punishment that we deserved, but the sacrifice of Jesus also gives us the benefit right now of being at peace with Him. This is amazing. We should be in a hostile relationship with Him because we've broken His laws. But instead of hostility, those who respond to the gospel of Jesus get peace with God. This is crazy. Little old Miles McMillan, this speck on a speck in a massive universe, has broken the perfect laws of the one who created me. But instead of him crushing me, he saved me. And instead of just saving me, he set it up so that I could be at peace with him and be in a relationship with him where I get to come and talk to him and ask him for help with things. And he actually listens and he cares about what I have to say. Are you kidding me? This God we have is amazing. So by standing in the gospel, we stand in a peaceful relationship with God. And this is a tremendous benefit that puts us in a very strong position. Later on in the letter to the Romans, Paul also says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? And this doesn't mean that hard times won't come our way, but it means that when they do, we have someone who's with us who is bigger than any problem we will face and will help us through it. So we've talked about what the gospel is and why we should receive it or obey it. First of all, we should receive it because through it we are made free for eternity. We've also been discussing about the freedom that the gospel provides for us today. And one of those freedoms is being free to be in a peaceful relationship with God as we've just discussed. And in case that's still not enough, I would like to look at one final benefit of receiving the gospel before we move on to how we can receive it, which is the freedom from slavery to sin. Let's jump back to our text and look at it again. I want to compare the text that that we've been working through this morning from 1 Corinthians with another passage from Romans 6, 4-6. So I'll read that first. It says in Romans 6, 4-6, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I want us to notice a few things here. First, in our text this morning, it says that Jesus died on the cross. And in Romans, it says that we die to our old sinful life when we obey the gospel. In our text, it says that Jesus was buried after his death. And in Romans 6, it says that we were buried with him in the water when we're baptized. In Corinthians, it says that he was raised from the dead. And it says in Romans that we also are given a new life when we receive the gospel. This is an amazing parallel on its own between these two passages. But the reason I wanted to draw our attention to it was to point out the other amazing benefit that comes with receiving the gospel, as it says here in verse 6 so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Slavery to sin is something that everybody will struggle with, including Christians. But what I want us to grasp this morning is that Jesus didn't just die so that you could be saved from hell. He also died so that you could be saved from slavery to sin right now, today. C.S. Lewis said, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And I couldn't agree more with these words. We live in a crazy time right now, don't we? We have more luxuries and comforts now than in any other time in human history. But yet our thirst for more just seems to keep growing and growing. What does this tell you about the things that our culture is chasing after? Will those things ever really satisfy us? Maybe you're searching for fulfillment in the world of drugs or alcohol. Like a slave, you go to your master again and again because you think it will lead you to freedom, but you'll never find it. Maybe it's porn. You can search and search through every site looking for a way to fill what's missing, but you'll never find it there either. You're a slave to it, and every time it calls you back, you come running, even though you know it's a lie. Or maybe it's a career. The promise of benefits, a pension, and a promotion to the top where you'll finally be fulfilled and complete. You give so much of yourself to this career, 
And then one day you get laid off or downsized and you wonder who you are anymore. Or maybe it's fear. Everything you do seems to be like you're walking on eggshells and you're constantly looking over your shoulder and wondering what's coming your way next. It's exhausting. And the fear is controlling you and stealing your freedom and stealing your joy. Or maybe it's people-pleasing. Or maybe it's money. Or maybe it's entertainment or sports or vacations. Or maybe it's movies or Netflix or likes and followers. And I could go on and on. And some of these things may not even be all wrong on their own, but we have to ask ourselves, am I a slave to this? I mean, honestly, think about it. Do these things control your thoughts, your schedule, your actions? Do you structure your life around these things? And if they were gone tomorrow, and as we know right now, this is happening. Many of these things have been ripped away from us. If these things were gone tomorrow, would it significantly affect my sense of self-worth or cause me to have to redefine who I am? If we answer these questions honestly, Hopefully we will see some areas in our lives where we may be a slave to sin. Jesus hits on this topic in the Gospel of John. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you're in slavery to sin, and I believe that uh, many of us are in a battle with this, Jesus makes us a promise here that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be caught in sin and be a slave to it. In verse 36, he says that he can set you free. You can be free from the eternal punishment of sin, yes, but on top of that, you can also be free from being a slave to sin today. You just have to receive the gospel of Jesus. The benefits of receiving the gospel are amazing. Through the gospel, we've got freedom for eternity from the punishment of our sin. And on top of that, the God who should have punished us offers us freedom for today as well. Freedom to be in a relationship with Him and freedom from slavery to sin so that we can serve Him instead. Who wouldn't want these things? The good news is that these promises are available to anybody. Anyone who wants to make the decision to grab a hold of it. Which leads us to our last point. We've talked about what the gospel is we need, and why we need to respond by looking at some of the amazing benefits that the gospel offers. So now, we need to address the important topic of how we respond to it. What do we do if we're ready to take God up on this offer? What do we do so that we can avoid the punishment of sin and enjoy all these amazing benefits of knowing Him? And how can we experience this freedom of slavery to sin that He offers? Well, I'm going to suggest that the way we respond is very simple. First, by having faith, and second, by putting that faith into action. We've already seen how to do this in the scriptures we've looked at this morning, so let's go back and look again. Remember this passage from Romans 5? The first thing we can see here that we need to be willing to do is have faith or believe in the offer that God has made for us. We see here that this is the way we gain access into His peace, and into His grace. We need to have faith that His offer is a real offer, and we need to accept it because on our own, we are helpless. Let's continue on back to this passage from Romans 6, and I'll take an expanded look at it, so I'll read it again. 
This is what it says in Romans 6, 1 to 6, and then also verse 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then dropping down to verse 11, he says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if we're ready to put our faith into action, we need to be willing to give up on doing things our own way and start living lives the way that God has asked us to instead. And this is the hard part. Verse 2 says that we need to be willing to consider ourselves dead to sin. Meaning that the old way of living for ourselves is now over. The Bible calls this idea repentance, where we turn away from a sinful life and start living the life that God has called us to instead. The other thing I think we need to see in this passage is the way that we demonstrate to God and to others that we're ready to take that step. Just like Jesus died and was buried and was raised again, we need to die to our old sinful life, be buried and then raised again to live a new life. Instead of actually dying a physical death, though, we die in a spiritual sense when we demonstrate this death through baptism. We die to our old life through repentance, then we are buried under the water to mark the end of our old life, and then after that, just like Jesus, we are raised again to live a new life that is devoted to God and to serving Him. The last part of receiving the gospel that I want to talk about today is, is discussed in our section from 1 Corinthians this morning that we've been looking at. So let's look at it here one last time. I want to highlight the attitude that we should have toward the gospel. Paul says in verse 2 that the Corinthians needed to hold fast to the word that I preached to you. You see, we can't view our faith as something that we just did one day to set us up for a better future like a life insurance policy or something that you sign up for one day and then you just file it away in your drawer and forget about it. The decision to die to yourself and follow him needs to be life-altering. And it says here in verse 2 that we need to hold fast to it. The Greek word for hold fast means to keep secure. Uh, one day, when Alicia and I were in Costa Rica recently, uh, we were climbing up the side of this rock face to get to the top of a waterfall. It was really cool. And the rock face was so steep that people had kind of hung some ropes there that you could hold on to and pull yourself up while you were trying to get up to the top. And when you held on to this rope, you had a very keen sense of awareness of your grip on it because you knew that if you let it go, it wasn't going to end well for you. And I think this is the kind of, the, the kind of grip that we need to have on the gospel as well. It isn't something you take casually. We need to recheck our grip constantly and be willing to make adjustments so that we make sure we're not letting go of it. I love the way that Jesus describes the value we should place on our decision to follow him in the Gospel of Matthew. 
He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Please listen to me. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest treasure you will ever find in your life. And if you haven't already, you need to take God up on this offer. The offer is open to anyone who wants to take it. Anyone who realizes the treasure it is to receive freedom for eternity and freedom for today and is willing to go all in to get their hands on it. The Apostle Paul, uh, the one who penned many of the scriptures we've been reading today, is, is a great example of somebody who did just this. For those who have read about his life, we know that he started out actually being opposed to the message of Jesus. And he even took part in sentencing people to death who were going around promoting it. But when he discovered the truth and submitted to God, his life changed completely. His faith was not just a belief system. His faith wasn't a five-step process. It wasn't following some ritual or reciting a prayer. No, his, his response to this gospel was faith in action living a life devoted to the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. This is the life that we are all called to as followers of Jesus. We come to an understanding of the significance of what God has done for us, and then we pour everything we have into that new way of life. So I hope this message this morning has been helpful to a wide variety of people. For those who are listening who are Christians, I I hope this has given you some reasons to share this amazing message with those people in your life who don't know God. I hope it's also challenged you to take a look at who's on the throne of your life and take advantage of the amazing offer that Jesus makes to free you from slavery to sin. If you are trapped in sin, admit that to yourself and to God and be willing to die to it. Seek out some help from a godly person in your life and be willing to turn your life and everything over to God. To those who are listening who don't know God or haven't become a Christian, I hope this message about the gospel of freedom comes across as attractive because that's what it's supposed to be. Many times I think this message gets miscommunicated for one reason or another and comes across looking like belief in Jesus means that you're part of a social club where you go, where you go to some building on Sundays, you listen to a sermon, you sing some songs, but then your life doesn't really change compared to anyone else in the world around you. This is not what Jesus had in mind. He wants to radically change your life. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he wants to give you freedom from eternal punishment and freedom from slavery to sin today. If that sounds like something you need, don't put it off. Take those steps we talked about earlier to receive this good news into your life and take your stand in it. If you aren't sure about some things or you've got questions or just want to know more, I would seriously love to sit down with you and talk about any of this. At the risk of being scammed by many rich uncles from other countries who need my banking information, I'm going to put my number and email address up here. Um, If you want to talk, get a hold of me and we'll make it happen. Uh, When a few of us were sitting around thinking about what we should call this sermon, Many ideas were flying around about the idea of freedom. And that's why we called this sermon the gospel of freedom. 
And as I was working on it, I couldn't stop the words of the song Living Hope going through my head. I know we sang this song at the close of our sermon last week, but I think the lyrics are just spot on for our message today, and so we're going to sing it again. I'm going to read some of them before we, we let Chad lead us here in song. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So as we sing this song, I hope the words will help you to reflect on the freedom that we have available to us through the gospel of freedom. It comes only through Jesus Christ. Let's stand together here as we